What's going on, Valley Christian Church? How you guys feeling tonight? So we're going to try that one more time. Because church is a place where we forgive and we give other chances. What's going on, Valley Christian Church? How are we feeling today? It's great to see everybody. My name is Stephen Francis. I am excited to be giving you week two of our series seven based on the church of Revelation. Last week we talked about the church of Ephesus and this week we're going to be talking about a different church with a completely different problem. But before we get into any of that, I want to ask a question to all of you lovely people that are with us tonight. Also need to make a huge shout out to all of our lovely people at Poughkeepsie and also our awesome people that are watching online. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so grateful that you are with us. But I do want to ask this question. Has anyone ever heard or used the phrase, the struggle is real? Anybody in here? All right. A lot of you, actually. A lot of older people, too. Good for you. Keeping it relevant. But... Many of us have used this phrase before, and for anyone that doesn't know what that phrase means, it's pretty self-explanatory. It just means that the realities of the hardships that we're dealing with are quite present. That's like the dictionary version of that phrase. But many of us, many times when we talk about, man, the struggle is real, and we share our struggles or someone else shares that struggles to us, we try to be nice about it, but in reality, we're kind of like, I don't really know if that's really a problem, actually. Like, not to compare my problems to your problems, but I think your life is pretty good. I feel like the area where this happens most is when you hear somebody that is dealing with the FWP. Some of you guys have met someone with this condition. Other of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about. So a couple years ago, they made a commercial to bring awareness to this condition that is happening to so many people all over our country. And so we're all on the same page. Let's watch together this commercial for people with FWP. Every year of every day, thousands of people fall victim to FWP. I'm so cold. I'm starving. Nobody cares about me. Also known as First world problems. I am so cold. Somebody set the AC to 72. I needed it 73. Starving. All we have is leftovers. Nobody cares about me. Nobody commented or liked my status. Hi, I'm Ryan Higa. And for just five hours of attention a day, you could help somebody with FWP. Everyone keeps putting so much pressure on me. I don't know what I want for my birthday. I have too much chips for my dip. If I open a new dip, I'll have too much dip for my chips. Why does Apple keep making new iPhones? Now I have to get another one? They've been through so much struggle. The remote's over there, but I'm all the way over here. So much hardship. My iPhone 5 is too big for my skinny jeans. So much attention. Tension. 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 I poured my cereal without checking to see if we had milk. So please, show your support and send them this video. And show them how much we care about their FWPs. I bought too many groceries. Now I'll have to make two trips. All you have to do is call the URL, 1-800.org. And we'll send you the FWP helping kit, which includes a bridge, a straw, and a full cup with a cover. Here's a bridge. Now get over it. Here's a straw. Now suck it up. Here's a full cup. With your help, we can put an end to FWPs and focus on the real problems, like starving children or homeless people. Because if you're complaining about something as silly as the iPhone 5, just wait till you see the iPhone 6. But it's definitely one of those things where truly 
when we do have an issue or a problem in our lives, it could be no laughing matter. And in the midst of us dealing with difficult situations, we're not just looking for help, but we're more so asking, where is God in the midst of all of this to help me? And this is something that we're going to be touching on as we go into the second church in the book of Revelation tonight. Book of Revelation chapter 2. Actually, before you go into that on your Valley app or on the Bible, I want to give you guys a little bit of context if you weren't with us last week. See, last week we talked about how the book of Revelation is written by a man named John, the same John that actually physically walked with Jesus when Jesus was on the earth. Now, much time has passed since then, and John no longer lives in Israel, but is actually exiled on the island of Patmos. But while he is on this island, he has a vision of Jesus standing with seven gold golden lampstands and also seven stars in his hand. And he goes on to say that I want you to write seven letters to these seven churches. The stars in Jesus' hands symbolize the pastors of these churches and the golden lampstands symbolize the churches that Jesus wants to address. So last week we talked about the church of Ephesus, the first church that actually was dealing with uh, having a great outside appearance when it came to their relationship with God, but internally their relationship with the Lord had actually grown cold. But this week we're diving into the church of Smyrna. Revelation chapter 2 Verse 8, Jesus starts off by saying to the angel, angel here means pastor, of the church in Smyrna, right? These are the words of him who was first and the last, who died and came to life again. Now, the way Jesus introduces himself in this passage is actually very important, but we're going to get to why that's important in a little bit. I think first we need to have an understanding of this area of Smyrna. A few things that you should know about Smyrna. Smyrna is still a place that you can visit today. It goes by a different name now. It goes by Ismar. And it is known as the rebuilt city. In the early BC days, the entire city was destroyed. But by this time, when Jesus is speaking to them, they completely rebuilt the city. It was known for a lot of its culture. Something very unique about it was that it's the birthplace of Homer, who wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. Many of you guys are familiar with that work. Also, this was an area that both participated and hosted Olympic Games. The same way that now the Olympics are all over the world, this was a place that hosted it, and they even had a coliseum that's still there to this day where people used to perform Olympic Games. Smyrna was definitely proud about that. But the thing that was most unique about the area of Smyrna is that it was an extremely political area. A lot of people even believe, historians believe, that the church, or the city of Smyrna, excuse me, was actually a cultish type of environment when it came to politics. So when the Roman Empire came into play and they took over Smyrna, Smyrna was so infatuated with this area of uh, Rome that they decided to dedicate a temple and create a statue of Caesar as an area where people can worship him. Literally once a year, it was a law in Smyrna for you to go to this temple, burn incense at the statue, and say out loud that Caesar is Lord. Now, this was a problem for the church of Smyrna because they didn't want to say that because they knew that Jesus is Lord. And also, that's really intense to do something like that. Can we be honest to a statue? Just say it. 
But because the church of Smyrna decided not to do that to the statue, it became legal in the area of Smyrna that if anybody spotted a Christian, they had the legal right to physically harm that individual. And many times it caused for many of them to no longer have jobs. Many of them were beaten. In fact, the pastor known as Polycarp, that was actually uh, mentioned in scripture when it came to Smyrna, was brought into the Colosseum where they did the Olympic Games and as a spectacle to the audience of Smyrna was burned and stabbed to death. But this was only half of their issue. See, we go on and we see Jesus. First, he identifies himself. But then he says this in verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. Also very significant, but we'll get to that in a little bit. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. See, the second part was the second half of the problem in Smyrna. The first half was the persecution from the people of Smyrna, but also they were dealing with the Jewish community. See, when Christianity started, many people don't know this, Christianity was originally just considered a different version of Judaism. It was the denomination of Judaism because of the amount of Jews that were in the faith. But as Christianity began to develop its own identity, they decided to, especially the Jews in this specific area, felt that Christianity was actually more of a cult that needed to be stopped. And the Jewish community in this area of Smyrna took it upon themselves to spread slander about the Christian church in Smyrna, blaming them for anything that went wrong and pointing out any person that might have even not been a Christian as a way of showing that Christians are despised people. So what makes this passage so interesting is that out of all the churches that we're going to be studying in this time together, Smyrna is the one that is calling out to Jesus first. They're looking for a response from Jesus on the pain that they are dealing with. And Jesus already started by introducing himself. He already started by saying that he knows their problem. So you kind of got to put yourself in their seats and think, oh my goodness, God is answering. God knows our problem. What's God going to do? And we see this in Revelation 2, verse 9, or 2, excuse me, 2, verse 10. He says this, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. I have to stop right there. Because if you think like you are one of the people of the church of Smyrna, this verse may have really upset you because it probably was not what you were hoping to hear. You were probably hoping that it would say, do not fear because you're not about to suffer. But instead, it doesn't say that. And by the way, a lot of you guys may be like, oh, but listen, the tribulation is only 10 days. It's fine. No, 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 no. This phrase here when it says 10 days is synonymous with the way that we say five minutes in our culture. If I say, hey, babe, to my wife, how long is it going to take for you to get ready so we can go get dinner? And she says five minutes. I know that it is not five minutes. Sometimes it's not even 10, but I love her. That's fine. Either way, it's a way of saying that it will be over soon. But the problem with that is that, Jesus, I don't want you to take care of it soon I need you to take care of this now. And the thing that gets to me is that 
When I hear this and when you read this, it's so troubling because in your mind, it's so contradicting for someone to wait to help you with anything. If I was away somewhere and I heard that my wife was in the hospital, something had happened to her, I'm going to rush to be sure that I am with her. Same thing if I have a loved one, if I have a family member, but, and many of you may do the same thing. But the idea that God would wait to do anything before a certain amount of time kind of makes you wonder, does God care at all? And here's the deal. What's happening in Smyrna is not unique to this time and place. People all over the world to this day are still being persecuted for believing in Jesus. Just last year in the area of Pakistan, 72 people lost their lives during their Easter service as a suicide bomber blew up in their worship service. In the areas of Africa, several missionaries, including an American missionary, have died within the past year when all they were doing was trying to give aid to the people through the love of Jesus. And in the area of North Korea, there are for sure certified over 70,000 people who are in forced labor camps because they claim to believe in Jesus, including a North, excuse me, including a Canadian man that came to North Korea who was just trying to help out the people that were impoverished in that city, in that area, country. The truth of the matter is, you know, we're on the other side of the globe where Christianity isn't necessarily something that deals with that level of hostility. But that doesn't mean that the pain that we deal with is any less legitimate. For a lot of us in here, you may be dealing with all types of situations. It may be health issues, things that you're having to uh, get surgeries for, diseases that you need medications for. For a lot of us in here, you may have financial problems and it's proving to be difficult to provide for your family. For others, it may be you being single for so long and you were hoping to have a family by now, to have a healthy relationship by now, but you're still single. For some of you guys, it's the marriage that you're in or the divorce that you got out of that's been your tribulation. And for some people, it could be a family issue, something going on with the family member. It could be even you trying to start a family that's the issue. But nevertheless, there are problems all around us, including in our lives, that we're wondering, God... Why aren't you doing something in my situation now? And truth be told, in our time together, I don't think that I can give an answer to every single detail on why God does the things that he does. But I believe through this passage, we can get insight of his motive behind some of God's actions. So if you're following along with your Valley app notes, I want you to first write this, that God is present in pain. You know, something that I get all the time as a pastor is this question, is God real? And that seems like a legitimate question, but usually when people ask, is God real? When you look below the surface, they're not asking if God is real, they're more asking, does God care? And many times people who feel this way, they interact with me and they say, man, I just can't believe in God because of all the suffering in the world or all the suffering that I've dealt with. But then you have to ask this question, and this is something that I ask people that deal with that. I ask them this, if God doesn't exist because of suffering, does the suffering go away? No. 
So if God doesn't exist and there's still suffering, who's then to blame for our suffering? I guess us are something with the universe. I don't know, but I guess somebody else other than him. So if that's the case, could it be possible for God to then exist even in the midst of the suffering that we are enduring? That he is not the source of the suffering that we are encountering each and every day in our lives. And this is something that God tries to communicate through his word. It says in Genesis that God created the heavens and the earth and everything that he made was good. And he made man and woman in his image and he loved man and woman. And he wanted to have a relationship with them. But the thing about having a relationship with somebody is that you can't have a real relationship unless there is the choice to love that person or not love that person. So Jesus decides, God decides to not only make man a woman, but he puts them in this garden and he says, listen, I love you so much. I want to keep this relationship going. But in order for this to be a real relationship, I need you to trust me on this and not eat the fruit of this tree over here. I'm giving you one rule. If you don't break it, we will forever have this beautiful relationship between us. And ironically, that's the one rule that they break. And unfortunately, we have been living in the tragedy of that ever since. But what makes God so powerful, and we see this through his word, is that even though we were dealing with this tragedy and this tragedy was our fault, God decided not to escape this tragedy that we were dealing with, but instead, instead decides to step in to our tragedy. And he does that through Jesus. Jesus, who is God, Jesus, who is the son of God, comes in the form of a man and he lives and he lives a life of suffering in multiple ways, ultimately dying on the cross for our sins. And he dies on the cross for our sins. And yes, he raises from the grave, but he dies on the cross with our sins, proving that he is not the source of our suffering, but that he being God has come in to be in the midst of our suffering. He's not the source of our suffering, but he's come to provide a way out of the suffering. And when we understand that, when we understand why God does this, the way that, why God did the things that he does, we know that even in the midst of our pain that we can trust in him. But there's another thing about pain that we need to understand as well. And that is that God has a purpose in your pain. See, as I was preparing for this message, I was thinking about all the ways that many of us suffer. And I came up with four specific reasons why we suffer. There's probably more, but I came up with four, all right? First reason that many of us suffer is because of the bad choices that we make. Now, I'll be honest, I'll be the first one to say, I have made a lot of bad personal decisions and that has caused a lot of pain in my life. Three stories come into mind and all of them have something to do with my love of running. Now, I'm a big fan of running. I'm training for a half marathon right now. Excited about that. But ever since I was a kid, I had a huge fascination with running, and that always got me in trouble. I would be running around my house when my mom told me not to run around the house. And the one day, I'll never forget this, she was like, Stephen, if you run around the house, you're going to get hurt. And I was like, whatever, I do what I want. I ran, and I slammed into a table and lost my two front teeth. True story. I was still cute, but I was missing teeth because I didn't listen. The next time it happened, it was a little bit later in life when I was probably about seven or eight. Again, I was running around the house, but this one was a little different. Many of you guys have done this where like you're in a house with hardwood floors and you have socks on. So you like run and then you try to slide or whatever. So I was doing that 
as I was doing homework on the floor. Now, I don't know why I was doing homework on the floor because there was literally a table like five feet away from me. But nevertheless, I was just doing whatever kids do. And I took a break to run somewhere. And then I ran back and tried to slide on the hardwood floor. And I fell and rolled over my homework. No big deal, right? Until I stood up and there was a pencil lodged in my leg. I freaked out. I was like, I don't know how this happened, but I need to go to the hospital immediately. That was when I was probably about seven or eight. The last time I got in trouble for running was when I was about 16, maybe even 17 years old. And this was back in high school. And me and this guy, um, we were friends, but we also had this crush on the same girl. And we decided that we were going to do a bet, that we were going to run a race, and whoever won this race got the chance to ask the girl out. Now, the way my school was set up, you would have the school building right here, and then probably about 70 or 50 feet away was the actual school buses. So we were like, all right, let's set up and let's do this. Now, normally this wouldn't be a big deal, but this particular day we decided to do it, it was torrential downpour in my area. I'm talking about judgment from God was coming down in our area through rain. And I remember thinking to myself, I remember actually saying, I can't see the buses that we're supposed to be running to. It is literally that heavy of rain, but we're like, you know what? What could go wrong? Let's do it. So we ready, we set, and we go, and we start running to the school buses. And I'm not going to lie, we're in church, I'll be honest, the guy was a little bit faster than me. So he's running, and then he decides to like get in front of me to be sure that there's no way that I could pass him. And then in the process of him doing that, he steps on a puddle, or at least what he thought was a puddle. What he thought was a puddle was actually some crazy sinkhole that somehow went down into the depths of the earth. And he ended up falling straight in to this pothole. And I step, I try to step over him, but I end up stepping on him, like on his back. And I'm literally looking down on him like this. And I literally, it was like slow motion. I was like, "Mm -mm -mm, that sucks. So I went... (laughs) So I try to go my way, and as I land, he grabs my foot. And when he grabs my foot, I go from slow motion, I'm about to win this race, to fast forward, my face is slammed on the concrete. And what was supposed to be two friends just having a race, we went back on that bus, we went on the bus, bloody as ever. He had a button-up shirt, he lost all of his buttons. He didn't have an undershirt on, so he's like covering up like this on the bus. We looked terrible all because we decided to race for a girl by the way neither of us ended up dating the girl either so you know there's that whole thing as well it wasn't even worth it but all of that to say there is suffering that we cause in our lives because of our own doing and there's also suffering that we have in our lives because of what somebody has done to us and it could be something innocent like grabbing your leg when you're winning a race But it could also be something that's really actually internally damaging. Many of you know the pain of dealing with abandonment or abuse from a parent, from somebody violating you in a way that should have never happened, especially because they were supposed to be a form of protection in your life. Some of you have been heartbroken before from a particular individual, someone who you thought you could trust and and would be in your life forever as a source of comfort. And the truth of the matter is, there's a lot of things that we do that's our fault, but 
it's twisted sometimes in a sense of because with what someone has done to me earlier in my life, it causes for me to do all of these things covering up that pain. But that's the second reason why many of us suffer. The third reason why many of us suffer is because, quite simply, we just live in a chaotic world. The hurricanes, tornadoes, droughts, famine. There's, there's just things that are completely outside of our control that causes pain and suffering in this life. But the fourth thing that I believe causes pain in our life is when we suffer for doing what is right. There are people in here that don't have certain jobs because you decided to do the right thing. There are people in here that could be in a relationship right now, but you decided to do the right thing. And for the church of Smyrna, the suffering that they were dealing with was a cause of them trying to do the right thing. You know how easy it would have been to just be like, all right, Caesar is Lord. I'm going to go about my business and do what I want. But instead, they decided to do what God had wanted them to have, and that was integrity. And in the midst of all that pain, we see this in Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And this verse gives me reassurance in knowing this, that God doesn't cause the pain of every single thing in my life, but God will use the pain of every single thing in my life. Whether it's because of me, whether it's because of someone else, whether it's because of circumstances, whether it's because I'm trying to do the right thing, God will always use it for his glory and to my benefit. But there's another thing that we can learn. And that God uses pain to bring perspective. Actually, I need to say this real quick. Just going back to this verse, this is why we see uh, what we see in, uh, uh, excuse me, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. This victor's crown is the same crown that people would have won in the Olympics in the area of Smyrna. And Jesus is trying to say that I will give you that crown. And it's with that perspective that we understand that God uses pain to bring perspective. Once again, I want to read this verse here. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, uh, whoever has ears let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. You know, what kind of gives this context? Not too long ago, uh, I celebrated my birthday. I turned 28 years old. Now, to me and to a lot of people in this room, that's not old at all. I'm still very young. To a lot of younger people, they're like, oh my gosh, she's almost 30. As if 30 is the age where you begin to start to die or something like that. I pray for them, though. But nevertheless, um, now that I am 28, even though I still consider myself young, there's also things that I experience that, are, that I have experienced as a child that a lot of younger people in the newer generation will never know about. Hardships that they will never have to endure. And when I think about some of those hardships, I want to connect with some of the older people in the room Yes, we love our children, 
but they will never know the struggle of things like getting on the internet. Does anybody remember that struggle in this room? <laughs> and listen, don't let someone pick up the phone while it's happening or it's all over. You got to start again. <laughs> I remember back in my day, we didn't have Netflix. So if you wanted to watch a movie, you either A, stayed at home and watched that like channel with all of the channels moving. What was it? TV God or whatever. And you would just have to wait there for hours. And if you looked away and your channel moved, you'd have to wait another day. <laughs> I remember that if you didn't want to do that, you can go to Blockbuster and rent a movie on VHS. And here's the thing about Blockbuster when you went, to, uh, went there to rent a movie. It, even if you had a movie that you wanted to watch, they had like the little movie cover on top. But if there wasn't the actual VHS tape behind it, you were out of luck. You weren't watching that movie. I remember walking up to my mom. I was like, hey, mom, can we, can we watch this movie on VHS tonight? And she was like, mm-mm, that's a new release. You got to get a hot pick for 99 cents. A dollar fifty. We're not made of money. And then you would go home with the VHS tape and you put it in the VHS player, but the person ain't rewind it. So now you gotta wait another day and a half to actually watch the movie for the thing to rewind. Here's the last thing I'll remember. I'm just going down memory lane. I remember my oldest sisters, they would call the radio station to ask for their favorite song. And then after they called the radio station, they would stand by the boombox with just two fingers ready to press play and record at the same time to record that song. Anybody in here remember that? Anybody in here? Those are the good times. Now all these kids have is Spotify and iTunes. They don't know how hard we had it. But the thing is, even with all of that, the other thing that I appreciate about being 28 is when I look at some of the things that I endured when I was younger and it just gives me such a better perspective. Times when I wanted to hang out with certain groups of people or I wanted to, or I ended up breaking up with this particular girl and I'll be heartbroken because my parents said no and I'll be like, this is unfair. This is such a tragedy. Like, I can't believe this. And now I look at some of those people and I look at some of those people, uh, the girls that I used to date. I was like, man, thank you, God, for your provision. Like, you really saved me here. God's got my back. I remember there were times when I would try to do something cool and try to impress people like that story of me racing. And now I look back on it with like painful regret of like what in the world was I thinking? And the thing about that is that if I can have a changed perspective from the time I was young to now being 28 years old, how much more of a perspective change can I have from where I am now to where I'll be in eternity? Because here's the truth of the matter. A lot of us are living in the moment, and understandably so. It's all that we can see. It's all that we can experience. But Jesus, knowing what is important, knowing what is truly valuable, has given us something that will last an eternity long. 
Jesus, through his death on the cross, made sure that not only will we be able to have abundant life here on this earth, but we will have abundant life forever and ever with him. And in the midst of the suffering of Smyrna, Jesus is saying, yes, you are suffering now, but I tell you what you will experience in eternity will completely outweigh whatever you are having to deal with in this moment. And I know that that's difficult for us to understand because the pain is real, the suffering is real. But one thing I'm sure of, if God doesn't do something the way I want now, I know that I will never regret and I will always appreciate what I have in eternity with him. Because a hundred years from now, none of the things that I'm dealing with today will matter. And in the midst of these things that we deal with, The question is, how then do we find victory in the midst of the suffering that we're in? What do the people of Smyrna do as they endure these trials and temptations that they're under from the enemy? The first thing I believe that can help is if we don't compromise to comfort. Matthew 5, 4 says, that blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. Scripture says in multiple places that if we trust in the Lord in our times of sorrow, he will give us comfort. The people that know God the best are sometimes the people who have gone through the worst. But the truth of the matter is that we self-medicate ourselves and sell ourselves short of what it is that God could have for us because we're only willing to go, we cannot be stronger than the pain that we're willing to endure. You know, an area where I believe that this happens, and I actually need to say this before I even get into that, is that, you know, so many times in the midst of our suffering, we have natural ways of finding comfort. And I actually think there's nothing wrong with that. We all have comfort foods. I am a personal fan of chicken and waffles. That is my go-to. We also have comfort clothes. You have not lived until you have that pair of sweatpants that just never lets you down. Other people are let down because they're like, you need to find a new pair of sweatpants, but no, 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 no. You care for those sweatpants. But also, many times the things that we do as a temporary, temporary ease to our comfort, we try to make a permanent fix which only allows for us to not find healing, but only a postponement of the issues that we're going through. So many of us watch television, not as a form of entertainment, but as a form of getting our minds off the pain that we're dealing with. So many of us eat, not because we're hungry, but quite honestly, because we're suffering with something inside and it's our way of finding a way of ignoring that pain. Some of us even shop, not because we actually need anything, but because that sense or that feeling of getting something new kind of takes away the pain of something that happened in our past. And that's just the Christian things that happen. How many people deal with things like pornography, things like substance abuse, alcohol abuse, things like toxic relationships, anger issues, because there's something deep inside that they have not allowed to heal. And what Jesus is trying to say is that even in the midst of our mourning, if we give it to him, it's not going to happen overnight, but he will bring a healing there that will cause us to be able to overcome. And when we allow ourselves to be open to God in that way, I believe that there's another way that we can also be able to find healing, and that's this, that we create space to communicate. I believe there's three ways that we can create this space, and this is not in your Valley app notes. 
But I believe that the first thing that we could do to create space to communicate is to communicate to God. You know, if you look in the Bible, if you ever read the Bible, and I hope that you do, there are countless people who are known as people who are most close to God, yet at the same time had the most difficult conversations. Job, a man who lost everything, had difficult conversations with God. King David, the man known as the one who was after God's own heart, was also the one that would say, God, why aren't you here? Why aren't you listening? Why aren't you do something about this? I need you right now. Jesus Christ himself, when he was hanging on the cross for our sins, screams out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If those people can call out to God and God can meet them in their situation, including Jesus, how much more can we do that? Sometimes God can bring enough healing if we just take the time to tell him what we're feeling. But then also, we need to be able to not just have time in prayer, but time in his word and also time in worship. Because through those times, we also encourage ourselves and remind ourselves of the type of character that our God has and the motives that he has. And it gives us strength to be able to get to the next day. But more than that, also, we need to be able to communicate to ourselves. You know, something that I think is unique, like I just mentioned, King David, he wrote so many psalms to God. And I think there was more than just him being used by God to write those things so that we can see how to communicate to God. But I also think that there was something therapeutic happening in David's life because he wrote those things. So I want to encourage you to communicate to yourself. In other words, have a diary, have a journal where you can write what it is that you're feeling, what it is that you're going through as a way of helping you to process what those feelings are of pain and of suffering. But last but not least, we need to have time to communicate with others. Because truth be told, many of us are dealing with a lot of hardships and pain, but out of pride, we keep it to ourselves and we just walk in with a smile on our face. There is so much healing that we can get from other people. There is so much healing that we can give to other people if we take the time to talk, to find people that care for us. And that's why we stress this valley community so often, community groups, short-term groups, even just calling the church and asking if you could talk to a pastor, talk to somebody to help you to your situation. Second Corinthians says this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. That's the beauty of the church and why Jesus calls us to behave the way that we behave. Before I finish my closing prayer, you know, the church of Smyrna was dealing with something that was difficult for me to understand. And for anybody here that's dealing with the situation, I want to encourage you with this video we're about to watch of two women hearing their story of how they remained faithful to God in their time. Let's watch it together. Deny Jesus and live or choose not to and die. It's a question that strikes fear into the heart of most Christians and forces us to question our faithfulness in God. But for two incredible girls from Iran, girls my age, this was their reality. Miriam and Marzier were placed into a situation 
where denying Jesus would literally save their lives. You see, they had been sentenced to death by hanging, having been caught after distributing more than 20,000 Bibles in Tehran. For the majority of times, they would fill a backpack with Bibles, pray and ask God where they should distribute them, and then under the cover of darkness, they would simply place these Bibles in letterboxes. When they were caught, they were placed into Evan Prison, one of the most notorious prisons on the planet. And they told me stories of friends who were regularly beaten, tortured, abused, and even killed. But as their case reached global media and pressure mounted for their release, the girls, they were regularly dragged before a judge who would simply say, write one sentence, saying that you'll convert from Christianity to Islam and we'll let you go. And each time they'll refuse. And the judge would grow more and more frustrated and say, no, you don't understand. If you don't do this, you will die here. And they replied, no, you don't understand. We've been threatened with death before. That's not the problem. We're not afraid of death. What we're afraid of is a life without faith, without our saviour, Jesus Christ. You know, we so often link stories of victory, miraculous provision, with God's faithfulness. But have we made a horrible mistake in doing this? One of the biggest struggles in my own journey has been the fact that, well, I seem to equate God's faithfulness with his provision of safety. And it's essentially rendered Jesus as this kind of blend between Superman and Santa Claus, a a superhero that will sweep in and save the day wherever, whenever, and however I need him. And in those moments when my prayer isn't answered immediately or how I want it to be answered, I question God's faithfulness. What most people don't know with Miriam and Marzier is that their safety, it came at a huge cost. Physical and emotional scars are run deep. The death of many close friends. And yes, their story ends the way we like it, released after 259 days with one of those exciting stories that we all crave. But trust in God's faithfulness? That's what defines this story. Because whether it worked out the way we all wanted it to or not, it wouldn't have changed a thing. You see, their lawyer would tell them, if you convert to Islam, we can exploit a loophole. It allows you to tell a lie of convenience. And they would reply and say, we will never convert, not even for the sake of momentary convenience. It's stories like Miriam and Marzier, who because of Jesus, they stand in the face of culture in some of the most confrontational places on the planet. They're stories that inspire us, encourage us. But do they change us? Because Jesus isn't a mix between Superman and Santa Claus. And by following him, we don't get a life of safety. We get a great commission that involves suffering hardship, but an assurance of eternity with him. A story, it may not end the way we want, but ultimately, God is always faithful.
Would you pray with me? I first want to make a prayer for each and every person in here and even for our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world that are suffering in any variety, in any shape and form. And then I want to make a second prayer to those that have not received Jesus Christ. But before, let me first pray this. Father, I thank you for each and every person in this room. Father, you care for each and every person in this room. You do not look at any of our situations with any sense of ridicule, with any sense of pride saying you should just be better. You should just do more. Suck it up, God. No, you say that you love them and Lord, that you are with them. Your death on the cross is proof of that. And for every person in here that is dealing with a suffering, whether it be sickness, whether it be financial hardship, whether it be an issue with a family member, conflict, job loss, whatever the case may be, for all of our brothers and sisters all over the world that are dealing with persecution because of their faith in you for trying to do the right thing, for trying to do the best that they can do. Father, I pray for them now that your spirit, Father, come on down like a blanket to their hearts, that it guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus and cause for them, Father God, to find life in you again to cause them to find victory in you again, to cause them to know that you are a God that cares, that you are a God that saves, that you are a God that will ultimately deliver, that you are a God that is faithful. Father, we pray for healing. We pray for breakthrough. We pray, Lord Jesus, for new things to emerge. We pray, Lord Jesus, for things that are even better, Lord Jesus, than we ever expected because you are a God that exceeds our expectations. But Father, we also pray that as we are in the midst of the waiting period, that you give us the strength to make it another day. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you're doing in the lives of all of these people and in all of our brothers and sisters all over the world. We thank you for what you are going to do now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. And if you're in here right now and you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know that you're dealing with hardships and things in your life and you need victory for, let me let you know that Jesus wants to come into the midst of your situation. He knew everything that you would be dealing with. He knew everything that you would be suffering. And he died on the cross as the penalty for those things so that you can have life today. Scripture says that if we declare with our mouth and believe in our heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, we will be saved. And if that's you in here today, I want you to just repeat these words after me. And these words aren't magic. These words aren't necessarily super special, but I believe it will show the position of your heart. Repeat these words after me. If this is you in this room, you want to receive Jesus. Dear Jesus, thank you for this time. Lord, I am hurting. Lord, I am missing something in my life. And I know now that it is you. I confess that Jesus is Lord and that you died on the cross for my sins. Come into my life, Jesus, and let me be able to face the world with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Valley Christian Church located in Hopewell Junction, New York. Please visit us online at valleychristianchurch.net for more information. Thank you.